Jones via the website www.chrisjones.com. That's Chris spelled C R I S S. Today, the topic is going to be about problems at school with young people and how to handle them. I've got a guest today who's going to help me. She was an ex-chair of governors in East London, also businesswoman of the year, and she's worked with some major companies. She's also had the privilege to work with a lot of young people. Now, at some point in all our lives, um, our child would have got in trouble at school. Now, when your children get in trouble, it's frustrating. Not only is it frustrating, it's embarrassing because you don't really want that phone call, that email or conversation with the teacher, but it will happen. And most of the time, it will be about behaviour. Now, bad behaviour is one of the things that most schools try to keep away from because it disrupts the learning of every pupil. An example is one person in the class will disrupt 29 other pupils from learning. And if they continuously do that, it means that the teacher has more of, of a difficulty in teaching subjects and getting it across. Now, we know um, some kids um, continuously spit their dummy out at the corner um, when at home, jump up and down. Uh, there's no difference between a 15-year-old and a 5-year-old at times, because they still do it. And... Um, you know, one of the things that I blame for that is the the way that parents deal with their uh, youngsters. I mean, when a youngster does something like this at home, there should always be a consequence, like at school. There should be no misbehaviour any time. And when there is misbehaviour, you've got to point that child in the right direction. Now, one of the nice things about being a chair of governors is that um, you're actually the sheriff you're the big guns so if all else fails it'll go in, it'll go in this order your tutor your head of year the headmistress and then yes the governors now for some reason in my speech governors was someone in the prison but school in prison not a lot of difference especially in the academy but no one really heard me saying that now um i'm going to speak to my guest um uh, about her role as a governor and how she found it and whether she thought there were some easy ways of improving behaviour. So, over to you. Good afternoon or good evening or good morning. Um, I would say when uh, problems came to us at the board, they they really escalated. That when By the time it uh, got to the board of governors, the um, schools had probably tried a number of interventions they were engaging with parents, um, teachers had been dealing with the um, students, and they couldn't resolve it at that level. And so it was escalated to the governors. And when it got to the governors, we were in a position where we were asked to make a decision on a decision that had already been made by the senior management team. So really, we were being presented with a case um, and we needed to take action. There were times sometimes as chair of governors that I was called in to deal with the Pacific situations with the senior management team or the head um, before it got to that case. And um, it's not an easy situation to deal with because the, um, there are always three parties involved in a situation. Of course, there's the child or the student, then there are the parents, and then there's teachers. So there are the teachers who are the representation of the school. And 
you could find one situation in terms of behaviour that um, sat on all of those three axis points. So I remember one situation that really perplexed the head teacher, and he called me in because he was um, really taken aback by what had happened. He had an incident where a child, um, the, the police came into the school um, because a woman had been assaulted um, and her mobile phone had been stolen. So what had happened, and I wasn't aware of it at the time, is that they had pictures of every pupil in the school and the woman was said that he was wearing the school uniform. And so she was, she was asked to go into the school and to look through the record, you know, sort of the sort of photographic book and identify the pupil. And so she did so. And the head of teacher asked her to do it again. And then he asked her a third time to do it. And afterwards I asked him, is that standard procedure to go through that process three times? And he said, no, it's not standard procedure. Normally if the person gone through and identified the first time, they would have taken that and, you know, identified the student, parents would be called and then the police would take it from there. But in this instance, the reason he asked her to do it three times is because he couldn't actually believe who she had pointed to. And, um, he was, he was actually visibly taken aback by the whole situation. The young man in question was an A-grade a student um, who was one of the gifted and talented. So it, it just didn't fit the mould of the description mm. and the, um, the gravity of the situation, you know, the level of the assault. And the woman was, you know, she was very accurate. She picked him out three times without any hesitation. And so he had no choice because he was quite reluctant, you know, because it's one of his good pupils. So he was actually torn between, you know, he found himself in a situation where he had to actually go and inform the form tutor and then the parents because, you know, he, he was very concerned because he said, look, the mother's such a decent woman. I'm, I'm, I'm just afraid of what this whole situation is going to do because he kept shaking his head and saying, I can't believe it's this particular child. But anyway... You know, the process had to uh, take place and he had to call the mother and, you know, the whole process got taken and managed by the police because it actually was been an assault. Yeah. Um, but he was really shaken by that situation. So somebody would then say, well, hold on a minute. What, what, how much of that weight lay with the parents and mother particularly? How much weight lay with the student? And how much weight lay with the school? And in that situation, as you can see, it's not so straightforward, it's far more complex. Because all three parties, you couldn't say, oh, which one was to blame. You could say the student in isolation, but he had a completely different persona at school and a completely different mm -hmm. persona at home to the one that he had with his friends on the street when he assaulted the woman and took the phone. So you wouldn't necessarily know to be able to take action and nip it in the, in, in, in the bud. So that's one that stayed with me for some time. Well, that, that's it, it's it's strange because um, I can think of a few other occasions when I've been about or been with pupils. I mean, there was a guy called um, they called him they called him Mo for short, and um, he was an A star pupil and he was gifted and talented and he had uh, um, Southern Indian parents. But the, the difference with this boy was that he was so clever that he could do most things with ease. And he decided um, over a space of time 
He had an incident where he got bullied by some black boys. Nothing unusual there. But anyway, he then turned friends with them. So what, what Mo did, he cut his hair short. He cut his left eyebrow. You know how they cut it to look fashionable? And he decided that all of a sudden he was going to wear clothes that were baggier. Um, his trousers were, at times, the waistband was near his knees, literally. And rather than walk, he shuffled like a penguin. Now, um, to make matters worse, he then got this big buckle belt, which I later learned was something they used to defend themselves with. And he, overnight, began to speak patois. Really good patois as well. Now, the problem he had was that um, at home, he was known as Muhammad. So, he was all nice and, you know, sweet and all this type of thing. But on road, on the street, he was known as Mo. And he began to be known as Mo in the school because he was running with the boys. And he's committed about, uh, I think, when I spoke to him, he committed about eight robberies um, with these group of boys. And um, he thought it was... He thought he was being cool. But of course, like all good stories, it came to an end when the police got hold of him um, and they recognised him. And um, he went through the due process, went to the police station. Um, his mum had to come down. He was in the police station for about seven hours. Um, it, it was actually threatening his, his thing at school because when he did the robbery, what a lot of boys don't know, he did the robbery in school uniform. So he brought the school in dis disrepute, and that's that 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 you get most schools um, a permanent exclusion, not even a temporary one, because you've brought the school into disrepute. Anyway, um, because of his fantastic grades, we knew that weren't going to happen. Uh, but he went through the process with the robbery, um, and he went to court and everything else, and um, he got off of it. But it's quite strange. The effect that it had on him was that um, he started to look like a normal boy. You know, he started to look Asian again. Um, his trousers were his his waistband was around his waist, and he started to fix up. But when it came to exams, he came out with five A stars. You know, so and when I t when I spoke to him later, I realised that this seemed like something simple, but it wasn't. It was a mental disease. And a lot of young men are going through this mental disease. Because rather than looking at being, I want to be an accountant or a doctor, or I want to do this job or that job, they slip into this thing where they play PlayStation for six hours a night, hang around with their friends for four hours in the evening, get very little sleep, start to eat these ridiculous wings that they like to eat these days, full of fat, and then they, they create their own world. And one of the things I be began to understand is that he created his own world with these boys because in his gang he had discipline he got fed he got respect people listened to it so his um, membership of a gang was really brought on by being uh, a boy that got listened to and i mean these were all boys from a different ethnicity but he fitted in he needed to be heard he needed to be wanted and the gang gave it to him so therefore he thought of more ingenious ways to rob people and more ingenious ways of how to get rid of things but um, i'm glad to say that um, that worked out anyway i've gone completely off the subject <laughs>
people get into. But, you know, just going back a bit on what you're saying about the bullying, there is a lot of bullying. And it's really hard to get to the bottom of the bullying. I mean, schools have put in um, different measures to deal with bullying. But, like, when we listen to some of the people who talk on television about how they were bullied at school, it's not over. That's true. Um, and I would say, I've got one point to pick up on the bullying, and I'll yeah. come back to that. Um, and then I'll go back to the um, parents, because I said there are three parties involved in the process in terms of behaviour. You've got the young person, yeah. you've got the parent, and then you've got the school, whether that's a teacher, senior management team, or head teacher. My first example I gave was where it was a young person who was responsible for the behaviour. Yeah. The second was where the senior management team was responsible for the behaviour in terms of them not managing the bullying. And I think the third one is where the parents have to take responsibility. And I don't think we can underestimate the number of parents who are really extremely violent and aggressive and confrontational when um, there are issues with their children. And um, like I alluded to in the second example, a lot of staff um, don't have um, appropriate conflict management training. Um, and so therefore that... Um, that exacerbates the problem. The, when they're afraid of the parents, they don't deal with the child's, or they don't deal with the young person's behaviour because they fear the consequences of the parent coming into school and being confrontational and aggressive. And that's um, far more common than people actually yeah. think it is. Um, and so you see that, you know, um, staff will hesitate to take action. And then when they leave it until it gets too late, it's not possible to negotiate the situation. It escalates to the point where law enforcement has to get involved. So I think that I tried to sort of give examples of where all three parties at some point are responsible for this issue of behaviour because it doesn't sit alone with any one party. All of those three parties, and it's like it's where the weight lies at yes. any one point in any one circumstance. It could be any one of the three directions that can be unbalanced and then that's where you'll find your situation so it's impossible to turn around and say school behaviour is X it isn't it, 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 it distributed between those three parties yes. and yeah. I think you've always got to be cognizant that that's what happens all the time in schools just that, and, and you know at one end or the other end of the spectrum but it still revolves around those three key parties now the other point I was going to make just to pick back up in terms of your bullying there is another issue with bullying. Yes, they have got, schools have got a lot of measures that they put in place with bullying, some which are effective and a lot which are not effective. But there is another issue, and that issue is bullying of staff from senior management team and from within the school. And it's not an issue that a lot of people like to talk yeah. about mm. at all. But I, I, I found it to be very common, you know. Um, and it's bullying in lots of ways, you know, bullying in terms of being quite intimidating, bullying in terms of being sarcastic, bullying in terms of not listening to, uh, especially a lot of their junior staff, um, bullying in terms of being quite derogatory. And even I witnessed it, um, bullying at board level, um, where a parent governor came on board and she asked a question. And it was a reasonable question. And the head teacher, he literally bullied her in front of the whole board and no one blinked an 
bullied, you know, it was, it, it, obviously it was, people were quite comfortable with that level of bullying because the manner in which he spoke to her was totally unacceptable, you know, and he spoke to her in such a derogatory way that if she were to ask another question, she would hesitate and she would think about asking that question in that forum. And I remember, she's a parent governor, so she's actually there to sit in a capacity. And that means, as a parent governor, you sit there. That doesn't mean you're going to understand all the terminology. That does not mean that you're going to understand the process. It does not mean you understand a lot of things about the school. You're not there as a teacher. Um, you're there as a parent. So you have a right to ask questions at that level. And the manner in which he spoke to her, you know, really was to make her appear very stupid. And that her question was very stupid. And it really would have, you know, and it did, because she, I, I watched her behaviour over time, and I asked her after the meeting, why did you allow him to speak to you like that? And she said, well, I didn't. I said, but that, that's your, it's your right not to know, because you're a parent. You're a parent first, and a governor second. Why did you let him speak to you like that? Because I was really surprised, but... I, I realised that that wasn't the forum to deal with it. I just waited until afterwards to find out how she wanted to deal with it before, um, you know, I made my comment. And I, I did go back to that um, head teacher and I, I, I made my comment, you know, I made him understand how, what I witnessed and how I thought about that. And, and that I thought that that was unacceptable, but I spoke to her first to be sure that, you know, I was clear about what I saw. But the bullying happens, and if it happens at that level and he did that to the governor, then he wouldn't necessarily be aware that he's doing it to his staff. Or he is, and he's quite comfortable with it. And so therefore, it just goes all the way down the line. And, you know, there were junior staff that would, you know, straighten up as soon as they saw him. And then I would realise that, oh, she's got a little bit of a reputation because the, the way in which they responded to him... Um, you know, made me understand that actually, yeah, he, he, he has power about him and he knows how to use it and not always for the good. So I was really quite taken back by that when I saw it because I actually had occasion to spend quite a bit of time in the school at one point because there were some issues that needed to be dealt with, some issues that needed to be dealt with. But that's what happened, you know. So there is bullying at all levels, but, you know, the one that um, is less spoken about the bullying and the intimidation, particularly of very junior staff. Yeah, I think that's I think that's more common with um, male head teachers, you know, because I've worked with a number of head teachers, and I, I do notice that almost um, them and us, the officers and the men, type of scenario. Uh, but uh, but then again, saying that the education system does um, encourage that sort of behaviour. But um, what's happening now with a lot of the local authorities, they're on the ball and uh, they're stopping things and they're actually listening to um, what's being said. Even when Ofsted comes in, it's, it's something that Ofsted looks at and something that um, the inspectors of Ofsted definitely ask staff about anonymously. You know, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable when they do that, but there is a... Um, a good reason in doing it, but I suspect now that a lot of head teachers do go off on training because it's uh -huh. it's it's difficult when you have to manage so many different people, and it's basically like uh, managing a small village. For example, that the school you was at, you had different nationalities. I don't, how many nationalities did you have at your school? Um, they had um, it was 
scored, but we had one group that was absolutely dominant. Yeah. Um, to the tune of was ninety five percent. Well. And so the other 5% had to sort of galvanize themselves wherever they could. Yeah. But in terms of the diversity of staff, that was really quite broad. Yeah. Um, and so it meant that because the school had that uh, sort of that core focus of their um, student population, they then had to understand um, a lot of the cultural dynamics of that. Uh, cohort of students because it was just so large it was impossible not to take that into account so you had uh, uh, staff who'd come um, from outside of London which, where a lot of staff that was the other thing that surprised me too I spoke to quite a lot of the staff and I was unaware of how many teachers were at the time coming from very far away you know, and so they weren't familiar, they weren't living in London, they had no familiarity with London, some of them simply couldn't afford to live in London, so I'm thinking, people were travelling for like, you know, two or three hours in the morning just to get to work, yeah. so when they left school, they had a three hour journey back home, you know, on a daily basis, and I was really quite surprised at how many of them were coming into London from places like Hertfordshire, from Leicester, on a daily basis and I'm thinking how stressful is that in terms of a commute um, and then to deal with the dynamics and the politics of what's happening at school um, I actually felt it was really quite a stressful situation and um, I, as I said I wasn't aware of that before I was a governor and had that level of interaction with the staff because those are things you just don't know. No, no I think there are things that um you you begin to work out and it's, it's it's quite incredible how weak some of these issues make a school i mean i, I don't think anyone's got a clear head traveling for more than two hours that's just ridiculous i mean that means they're losing a day a week not uh -huh. not including marking or uh -huh. or anything else uh -huh. or that's traveling yeah. plus if the weather's bad uh, uh -huh. you know, the road the rail we all know they're not that reliable and plus um for their own um their own mentality the the stress levels must be absolutely incredible well i mean to me because then i was there for a while and then some teachers would come and speak to me in confidence and then i would begin to see certain things happening in the school and then it would it gave me a different a completely different perspective in terms of the um the composition of the staff um and then you would understand subtly um, when I was there, I sat on various committees, and then you, I would begin to understand things like pay structures, um, and you know how that impacted on a number of staff. So, you know, being governor for me was quite important to balance the needs of the um, students with the needs of the staff, and then the needs of the senior management team, and then the community. So you couldn't leave out any of those four things and uh, of course the local authorities are really five things and so you had to balance if you made a decision it had to be with all those parties on board and um i'm sure i probably um frustrated my head teacher i'm sure he'd say that because every time he came with a decision he wanted to make a decision i would ask him about all the other four parties because i quickly learned that what smt wanted wasn't necessarily reflective of what was the school's view in terms of the teachers and whilst I understood leadership had its place there was an issue for me about lack of consultation 
So mm-hmm. leadership would decide something. And then when they implemented that and it didn't quite work out, and then I would ask why, what became clear was there wasn't sufficient consultation before they took that particular measure. And it, it meant that there were some things I then began to understand. SMT didn't understand a lot of what was going on on the ground, whereas a lot of the teachers did have that knowledge, but there wasn't an appropriate mechanism, mechanism to feed that through. So the decisions were skewed, not because it was an intentional um, decision, but because they simply didn't have the up-to-date, they didn't have the right information. And so it meant that there was a bottleneck with information, it would stop at a particular level, and it wouldn't be fed through to you know senior management team. And there, when they made a decision, because that information was absent, a lot of the times it was the wrong decision. So that, that, that way of communicating that information, and I respect the boundaries in terms of leadership, leadership has to make some decisions and they're not always gonna be popular. So I had taken that into account, but there were far too many incidents where with the right consultation, they could have handled that situation in a much better way. Right, well, <laughs> I, think, I, I think we're gonna end it there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, do you know what? I didn't even put a blast of time in front of me, to be quite honest with you. But, you know, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, as usual, a lot of people could have comments and whatever. If you look at the bottom of the show notes, it's got my email address there and the website. Please go to that. Leave your comments. I will come back to you. Not too quickly. Give it a day or two. But um, uh, thanks for listening. Join us next time for another edition of The Chris Jones Show. We'll be speaking about young people and offering some problem-solving solutions. Find out more at chrisjones.com.